blocking and directing traffic. And look at the length of this play. <laughs> Murray no, to the 10, to the 5, and he's going to convert it. That's unbelievable. We had to have it. You know, it's one of those situations. And, and um, when you have a guy who can do that and make people miss and uh, find a way to get in, it's exciting for the whole team. But it definitely, I think, at that point, I mean, you, you could feel momentum has shifted and it was about just finding a way to get it done. That was Greg Gumbel, Adam Archuleta on CBS on the call of the play that everybody's still talking about. It was ESPN's number one play of the NFL week, the two-point conversion that pulled the Cardinals to within eight that lasted over 20 seconds in duration. And Kyler Murray looked like, we talked about the Bills toying yeah. with people. Kyler Murray on that play looked like he was toying with the Raiders defense. Yeah, like That play could have gone 40 seconds. It's still unbelievable to me that Kyler Murray really seemed, there was nowhere to throw the ball and to be dancing around and to kind of maneuver himself on this moving chessboard of a football field and create an angle to the goal line and know he could get there it still blows my mind when you watch it let's also give credit to the offensive line yes that there was neither holding nor uh illegible ineligible man downfield i don't know if you could have it that that, close to the thing but but that that latter point really resonates with me because how many times do you see quarterbacks get off schedule and they're off and some offensive line is 18 yards downfield wondering where the running back yeah right oh hey whoa, whoa how do they flag that though do they only flag that when the ball is thrown because if it turns into a run play, they can be as far oh, I guess field as, right. as possible. It, it helped the timing that, of look, it. It really helped that the yeah, Raiders. You're right. It helped that the Raiders rushed two, and those guys were absolutely destroyed by the end of that play. Yeah. If you watch the play again, watch Justin Pugh kind of blocking, and while he was blocking, and it was like three guys on one, the guys trying to pursue Kyler Murray, and he kind of looks back at Kyler Murray like, hey, why don't, why don't you go this way? Yeah. We'll put we'll force this guy this. It was it was just an incredible play. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, uh, there were a lot of winners out of uh, individual, not a lot. There were a handful of individual winners, in my opinion, that came out of Sunday's game. Um, Kyler Murray obviously is number one. Byron Murphy, to me, is obviously number two. The offensive line is number three. What they did in that second half was was really quite something, and you could even see, I mean, they they were smart. They decided we're going to start double-teaming Max Crosby because Chandler Jones isn't doing a whole lot, and they swallowed up that Raiders pass rush, and, and it, was, it, it was dramatic what they were able to do. Um, J.J. Watt, by the way, the Cardinals have not lost a game that he started in his career in Arizona, when you think about it. It's true. for the playoff game. Well, that's right, yeah. the play. I mean, regular hasn't lost season. a regular season yeah. game. That's what I meant. Yeah. That's, Stupid yeah. Vinny's steel trap mine. Yeah, right. <laughs> Stupid details. Anyway, <laughs> we can all agree on, hey, it might, might, not, might, might not be the most apt description, but Kyler Murray was super heroic uh, on Sunday. He when was. he needed to be, especially on that play in the second half and uh, even on the 18-play on the drive that tied the game and the two-point conversion throw to A.J. Green, he was at a different level in the second half. That was great on Sunday. It kind of makes you worry. It does. What was our thought process about this offense going into the season? Was This offense is going to need to be efficient, and hyper productive for them to compete this year because the defense has challenges. Now, again, credit to the defense in the second half, but uh, through two games, the, the numbers don't look great offensively for the Arizona Cardinals offense. They're averaging 347 yards per game, which is kind of middle of the pack, 25 points. 
I think they're going to need to score twenty five more than 25 points on a regular basis to be successful yeah. this year. They almost got to the Magic 30 number. I'm waiting for that. That's that's when I'm going to know that this team is humming again. Uh, the first half of last year, they made thirty po- scoring 30 points look routine. When they reeled off seven straight wins, it was kind of a formula. Yep. 30 points, 400 yards of offense. Exactly. They've not reached those numbers no. yet. And and here's my takeaway, my, one of my takeaways. When you look at the, the ugly details of Sunday's game, there was was a lot of stuff related to offensive breakdowns and and clock management issues, stuff that should not still be happening in year four of a system. And you and you realize when is the, when is this execution and this potential that Cliff Kingsbury keeps talking about ever going to actually hit? And then you look at the defense and the way they look for the first six quarters of the season, and you wonder about how derelict was this um, as a general manager to think this team could compete. Through through 17 weeks uh, being this underfunded and you and you say to yourself okay what will it look like on Sunday? Will that second half against the Raiders be an aberration? Will it be the the day they caught lightning in a bottle? Because as Carlin pointed out, they actually accumulated a few bottles and had a few bottles sitting around. And 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 it was a combination of Kyler Murray just putting on this crazy, ridiculous show, plus the Raiders powering down on offense, losing their edge and not being able to get it back, and now the game's going downhill. Or was that a football team finally getting rhythm? It's the beauty of Sunday's game, man. I it's it's going to offer us some concrete answers to to some real heavy questions. I'm not sure which way this team is going to go. I'm I really not don't. sure either. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury sat down with Wolf and Luke yesterday for his weekly visit and talked about uh, yeah we won but we still got a lot of work to clean things up. Yeah, talent and effort that you know is something we we know we have and, and we see it each and every day with the way our, our guys work and the type of roster we have. But the mistakes and, and you know it's coaching, it's playing, it's all of it. We, we got to tighten everything up. And the first two weeks haven't been uh, the standard for us uh, as far as execution goes and, and play calling and all of those things um, in all three phases. But um, this is, is, is one we can build off of, and we got to get better in a hurry with our, our first division game on Sunday. I mean, on one hand, it feels good to have a quarterback slash offense that has the ability to come back because not everybody has that. Um, you know, so the Tennessee Titans don't have that. The Minnesota Vikings don't have that. The Cardinals do have that, but it's not uh, something you want to rely on all the time. No. I would love to see the Cardinals come out and kind of handle the Rams that they did in the first meeting last year in L.A. In control from from the beginning of the game, yeah. where they can dictate what they're going to do. We ha- we haven't seen that in quite some time. And, and again, it's it's. I think a lot of it now is going to also be the mindset of Kyler. Uh, a lot of times on Sunday, he chose to run the football and make plays with his legs. That's that's an evolving thing as well. I can't wait. I this is yeah, this is nobody knows where this season is going. And that's kind of fun in some ways. Mm-hmm. Coming up next, uh, it's been a pretty quiet offseason in terms of roster movement for the Phoenix Suns, but could that be changing a week before training camp starts? We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 987 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 987 FM, Arizona's Sports they are conducting business there in trade negotiations right now. A lot of them are centered around Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is a player who is available on the market right now. Whether or not there's going to be a deal for him that materializes before now and next week's trade deadline, that we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but Jay Crowder is a guy in the last year of his contract. And, you know, it's possible that they could do a deal that we would bring back more money on. And Bobby and folks that I'm talking to, 
they don't get the sense that the Suns are afraid to continue to spend, um, that they may be spending more. Uh, it would not surprise me if the Suns get involved in the negotiations for uh, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich mm. from the Utah Jazz, who is available on the market right now. Several teams are bidding for him. It's Brian Windhorst on NBA Today and ESPN talking about the Suns and their uh, level of operation right now. What could happen? We're a week away from the beginning of training Holy camp. cow. Less than two weeks away from the preseason opener against the Adelaide 36ers, mate. Uh, <laughs> coming up at, uh, at Footprint Center. And there's a lot of people that believe, Bick, that the, the offseason strategy for the Suns was, all right, Kevin Durant says he wants to come here. Let's go down this, this road as far as we can. And, well, now we know nothing happened, at least right now. Are they content in standing pat? And what Brian Windhorst is hearing and reporting is that they're not, that they might want to take on more salary in pursuit of, of this championship. And Jay Crowder uh, is one of those guys that appears in, in reading the Love tea leaves and social media, appears yeah. to be unhappy with his role or his future right. in Phoenix. And this is one of those things, Bick, that I think we as sports fans in Arizona and, and, and rooting for Valley teams, we get caught up in. You said it. Love that guy. Yeah, love that Jay guy. Freaking Crowder. I yeah. And you know what I think? I think Jay Crowder um, is is kind of dissatisfied because the Suns don't want him. I don't think he necessarily wants out. I think he's realized they don't want me anymore. I think he wants an extension. Oh yeah. That, okay. That's what I think. Okay. No, but he also right, must. Makes sense. He also sees that he's probably going to be benched for Cam yeah, Johnson this true. year. That's but true. Not, not to fall not, out of the rotation. Not the fault. No, I, I don't. It. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean bench that way. Just he's not going to be, be a starter anymore. Relied right. on less, which. Again, going back to this trap yeah. that we fall into, everybody in Phoenix loves Jay Crowder. Uh-huh. With what he's done for this team, this has been a championship-caliber team for two years. He's been a starter. He gives them an ingredient of edge that they haven't historically had on this team. He does a lot of the little stuff. But on the flip side of it, we, we become emotionally attached and say, you can't trade Jay Crowder. Right. No, that's, that's what championship teams do. They trade pieces. Is they, is they upgrade. And I don't mean that as a knock on Jay Crowder. I love the guy, too. And I love what he does for this team. And truth be told, when he goes somewhere else, I'll probably hate what he does for that team. <laughs> Even though it'll be the same thing. That's how hypocritical we are as sports fans. Right. But this is not necessarily a bad thing. No. Hey, listen, I'm with you on that. It's not necessarily bad because as much as I love Jay Crowder, uh, I don't think you can have basketball players who are that streaky shooting that volume in playoff games. And part of Jay Crowder's deal is I am who I am. I'm shooting the basketball. If it goes in, it doesn't. I, I ain't tripping because I'll start making them eventually. You need a little more consistency, and you certainly need uh, more. Just you, you need more controlled, more intelligent possessions in the postseason. And so there's that. Then there's the the swagger that I think this team really, really needed. But I I think, and you know, this is a big pet peeve of mine. I have really grown to loathe the way that basketball team began to become obsessed with officiating and foul hunting at the end of last year. He was part of that. I think this basketball team needs to kind of reshape their identity a little bit. Um, so that being the case, I, I do think that as somebody who loves Jay Crowder's game and loves his hardcore mentality and loves the way he fights on defense, he gives no quarter to anybody. He doesn't care who you are. LeBron, no, whatever. No. I love that about the guy. But I do agree with you. This is not necessarily a bad thing. And if you're going to pay Cam Johnson, you got you have to give him an extended role. Yeah, that's uh, the other bit of uh, n- a nugget of news from Brian Windhorst in that same report on NBA Today. Also, they are negotiating, from what I've been told, with Cam Johnson. 
Johnson yeah. on a contract extension. Now, that wouldn't affect this year's salary. That would be for down the line. But it would also indicate that they are looking to invest uh, long-term in another uh, player and avoid a restricted free agency situation like they had with DeAndre Ayton last year. So from a front from a front office perspective, from the folks that I'm talking to, the Suns are operating like it's like a championship contender looking to improve their team heading into camp. Which is promising. Again, six days away from camp, uh, not standing pat at this point, even though it's very late in the process. Nothing has is, is come to fruition on either one of those fronts, but that's what's on there. There was also a nugget last week that, that happened uh, Friday after we got off the air. Dennis Schroeder, who was a, a free agent point guard, opted to sign um, with the Los Angeles Lakers, a team he had mm-hmm. been with a couple years ago. Uh, my first reaction was, wow, Dennis Schroeder. And the Suns were in on Dennis Schroeder, according to the reports, to, to upgrade their point guard position, which was one of those items that a, a lot of people felt that they needed to do. Uh, so Schroeder goes back to L.A. and joins a roster with Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly already in place at point guard. He's there. I understand it from 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 one degree. The Lakers might not be championship caliber. They're, they're kind of one of the mysterious teams in the West right now. But Schroeder had success there. When Davis and LeBron and Schroeder were yeah. all healthy, that was a good basketball team. And then injuries took took hold. Yes. But I wonder, um, and it's fair to wonder, and people have brought this up, did, did uh, the uncertainty with the ownership situation affect Dennis Schroeder's decision? We'll never know that, probably. It has to, though. I mean, and, and again, this is not this is not necessarily criticism. This is just reality to me. This applies to Kevin Durant and how he'll look at Phoenix because if you're Kevin Durant and you're and you're thinking that guy might be back taking over that team next year, it, Kevin Durant may have had zero interaction with Robert Sarver. But if you're a primo elite basketball player, you will not be looked on favorably if you choose to play for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. If you don't stand in the other in the other camp, if you will, that's why to me what happens between now and really. I don't know. The end of the year, I, I think there's a lot of this stuff that is really meaningful as it applies to the owner. Well, Fair or not, this is the new reality. And Schroeder did have a—I mean, he played in Oklahoma City with Chris Paul. I don't claim to be an expert on how well they meshed or what that was like. They had some success. They made the playoffs together in that in that bubble year. Yep. Uh, but he chose to go back to L.A. in a, in a logjam point guard situation. And maybe that indicates that the Lakers are still working on moving Russell Westbrook. Um, maybe that's the case. I don't know. But I think Dennis Schroeder would have um, represented that, that upgrade at point guard. A guy who can score a little bit. A guy who gives you that irritant ingredient at times off the bench. Uh, if they don't do anything, this is a huge year for Cameron Payne. Oh, how about that? He needs, that would he, be... He needs to be he needs to be bubble and finals how, run Cameron Payne as opposed to what we saw last year. That? Even more so because you have to think that Chris Paul's either going to take a step back as a player or with his minutes. Yes. It's gotta be the minutes. And, and yeah. you're so reliant on campaign this year. It's Boy, I wish we didn't say that. Now I'm, I got Ajida right here. <laughs> yeah, no. Listen, I, I would be I would be stunned if they kind of it didn't do anything to upgrade that. But I don't I don't know where they would go. We got a week. Yeah, they don't even have an Alfred Payton or an Aaron Holiday right now right. to fall back on. It's a lot of Landry Shamit maybe playing point guard. And we saw glimpses of that last year, but I don't think that's an ideal situation either. 
Oh, boy. Basketball is almost here. Oh, I, listen, yeah, this is going to be crazy. Yep. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, Sarah Cazell takes us through the big stories of the day in the Rush Hour reboot. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this Tuesday, live from the Akchin Community Studios, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata mornings. Rush Hour reboot. Rush Hour reboot. You up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting, Arizona built for America's dreams. Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley Emirata Mornings on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Every single day at this time, we get you caught up on everything you need to know in Arizona sports and beyond. I am Sarah Cazell taking you through those stories with Dan Bickley. Hey. With Vince Murata. Hello, My name is Mr. Hack. <laughs> and with Jarrett Carlin. Love hearing from your stepdaddy. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know that was going to uh, resurface at some, some point? Somewhere, yeah. Yep, yep. Sounds about right. All right, let's start with the Arizona Cardinals, of course, coming off their very exciting overtime win over the Raiders in Las Vegas. Some would say they maybe made it more exciting than they needed to. Uh, yesterday on the Wolf and Luke show, the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, joined the guys and said the talent is there on this team, but it's the execution that they need to work on. Yeah. Yeah, talent and effort, that, you know, is something we we know we have and, and we see it each and every day with the way our, our guys work and the type of roster we have. But the mistakes and, and you know, it's coaching, it's playing, it's all of it. we, we got to tighten everything up. And the first two weeks haven't been uh, the standard for us uh, as far as execution goes and, and play calling and all of those things um, in all three phases. But um, this is, is one we can build off of and we got to get better in a hurry with our, our first division game on Sunday. Indeed, talking about the Rams. All right, let's look back at Sunday's game, guys. Aside from Kyler Murray, who really took the game into his own hands, who was your offensive MVP or the the player on offense who was most impressive to you? Taking away Kyler Murray? Yes, removing Kyler Murray from that mix, because I assume he would be your pick. Oh, he would be. I Um, would say Greg Dorch or the offensive line as as a whole. I'll go even more specific on the offensive line because we saw what the line looked like with and without Justin Pugh. I'm going to say Justin Pugh. For for this this week's game, and and how about DJ Humphreys, who, mm-hmm. who really who more than held his own when, when Chandler Jones went up against him, and he came out after getting dinged up, and he went right back in the game. I thought that was pretty studly as well. DJ Humphreys had the second highest offensive grade uh, by PFF on oh. the Cardinals. He was third, by the way. Wow! Wow! Good pull, Vince. Murray was good first. pull, Vinny. All right, now let's look at the defensive end of things. Uh, Byron Murphy Jr. of course had the scoop and score that ended the game. Uh, who was your defensive MVP or the guy who impressed you most? Uh, Byron Murphy Jr. I did not expect him to be able to hang with Devontae Adams the way he did, but he did, and he got rewarded with that game-winning touchdown at the end. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Anyone fact, else? He should be Defensive Player of the Week, in my opinion. Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks Ooh, for the he Lions. he was really good. Yeah, yeah there, there's other really guys. Good. He should be in the mix. I'm sure he got nominated. Okay. Um, anybody else? Yeah. <sighs> 
mean, Zach I'm, Allen played pretty well. Zach, Zach Allen played Allen. well. Yeah. J.J. Watt played well. Had a sack and a, and a pass defense. Um, those would be the other guys. Vic, that happens to me every time. Zach Ga- No, Zach Allen. Right. Zach well, it's Allen. Like, I know. I know. I have to work, work through that one. Zach Galifianakis. Yes. Zach Cranky. <laughs> Zach Godley. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from that. Uh, in Cliff Kingsbury's postgame interview on Sunday with the Cardinals radio network, he was asked, like, right after the game ended, did we just see this Cardinals team turn a corner? I hope so. You know, I'd rather start slow and, and end fast than, than start fast and end slow. And we, we just haven't played a lot of football together. When you look at the, the names that are out there and the guys we still have in short-term IR and hop still uh, four games out, I mean, we got to play more football together and get in a rhythm, and, and hopefully the second half helped us with that. Vic, I know you rewatched the game. Vince, I know you usually do as well. Looking back on Sunday, do you think the comeback was a lucky break in your rewatch, or do you think we should expect to see a more gelled, more connected Cardinals team moving forward? Oh, I, I, I still don't know the answer to that. I just, I will tell you that if you go back and you watch the Raiders and how they possessed and what they did with their snaps, they, 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 they lost their edge, and I, I don't know whether they were just gonna think they could run out the clock. I don't think they thought the Cardinals were going to be able to stop them running the ball or their screen passes. I don't think they expected any second half adjustments. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's also taking away what Kyler Murray did to that team. It's got to be a mix, and that that's why I think Sunday's so interesting, because I can't come to an answer on that question. Yeah, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I mean, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's first words on that soundbite were, I hope. <laughs> yeah. And I think you know anybody who's invested in the Cardinals is kind of hoping the same thing. Um, they need to start faster. They have not been competitive in the first half or three quarters, honestly, of, right. of two football games now. And that is not a recipe for success. So I, I'm still holding out judgment completely. Um, you know, crossing crossing fingers <laughs> is my strategy right now. Some toes, some elbows, yeah. etc. All right. Let's move on to the college game. Sean Aguano, the new interim head coach for ASU football. He spoke for the first time in that position yesterday. Uh, of course, he has taken over for Herm Edwards, who was let go on Sunday um, after a, a, a big loss to Eastern Michigan. I assume that most people listening to the station know by now that Aguano was a very successful head coach at Chandler High School before Herm Edwards hired him away a couple years ago. And Aguano touched on that in his press conference yesterday. He said he plans to dip into his high school roots once again to recruit the state of Arizona. I will personally recruit Arizona kids. I know their coaches. I know what they are about. I know what the kids want. I've sat on the other side of them um, and what they're sold against. The NIL and all of that stuff will play its part. I, I think that uh, Arizona State has a plan uh, to catch that up. But it all comes down to the kids that you have in your program. Um, and we'll start with Arizona. I'm in a position right now for the next 10 weeks to make an impact to get our kids in Arizona to be excited about Arizona State football. Okay, ASU fans, I think, at least based on the ASU fans I am connected to, they've got to be pretty happy to hear an increased emphasis on recruiting locally, as that has been a controversial topic for ASU uh, in the past. But looking ahead to whomever becomes ASU football's next head coach, whether it's Sean Aguano sticking around or they go out and nab someone else, what should be the highest priority for ASU in the search for the next head coach? What qualities or experience level do you think should be most important in this search? Ooh. 
I don't know if experience level. I think a lot of ASU people would feel better in bringing in an experienced college head coach after you know the, the last five years. I don't know if that's a prerequisite. I, I mean, I'm almost leaning towards somebody young who is going to be hungry with an opportunity presented to them um, and with a, almost a blank slate at this point. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about this program. There's a lot of uncertainty about the conference, but they might need to tap into youth. They went the op- opposite way with Herm Edwards with this experiment that didn't yeah. work out. Um, maybe youth and exuberance is... is, is with, with some success built in as maybe a coordinator somewhere else. Well, that's yeah. I don't know where where you're going to check all those boxes, but I but I do think that I, I do think the idea of going in and getting somebody who's done it before and is still relatively young, like Matt Rule, for instance, as Vinny pointed out, there's a high pi- price tag on guys like that. Right. Okay. And so I, I would say the reality of the situation is they're going to have to try to find somebody on the up and coming, okay. youthful, energy, yeah. good understanding. Very, very good personality because you're going to have to get that to recruit. The idea of making sure you 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 recruit Arizona well, look, that's that is only marginally important in the grand scheme. It's embarrassing to lose good players to other states, but and and the amount of good players coming out of Arizona is still um, it, it's not nothing. But yeah. if you look on charts in terms of what states produce the most Division One players, yeah, I'd rather be able to root California. Arizona. Arizona's way down and the list. Texas yes. recruits them better. So, you, yeah, so but that's it does. the whole thing. You've got to be able to pull the great players and enough of them, and you're not going to get them just by owning Arizona. No, but keeping a couple of those guys at home would be a nice start. I would, yeah. It's I been mean, a long yeah. time since, uh, yeah. since the majority of blue chip athletes from Arizona have stayed home. Some very good quarterbacks that have not stayed yes. in Arizona. At all positions, really. Well, that's true. All right, quickly in the NBA, the one and done rule. Are you shaking your head at me, Jarrett, or yes. at the one and done rule? At you. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Jared, do you want to add anything here before we go to break? Yeah. Nope. Take at least 45 seconds more. Nope. To just fill some time before we go. I guess the people will never know what's going to happen with the one and done rule. <laughs> never mind. We can, we can do that in off the grid okay. later on. Stay tuned. Or tomorrow. Thank you, Sarah. Tomorrow. Thank you, Ruthless. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Inertia on the show. Yeah. Uh, Rush Hour Reboot every morning at 7.30 with Sarah Cazell. Coming up next, Cardinals 1-1. One one. So is everybody else in the NFC West. How's the division looking through two weeks? We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this Tuesday. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Hash Marks. <laughs> Shoots it right side, cup of the 10, cup of the 5, cup in the end zone. These are the Rams we know and love. On the opening drive of the third quarter, 10 plays, 75 yards. Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup. Touchdown, L.A. J.B. Long on ESPN LA 710. Uh, that made it 28-3 on Sunday. Uh, the Rams then had to hold on for dear life to, <laughs> to beat the Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. who them in that 28-3 score, man, that, that connection How about is, that, is just, right? Uh, a time-honored tradition at this mm-hmm. point. So the Rams get their first win. The Cardinals get their first win. 49ers got their first win. And Seattle, who was the only team in the division to win in week one, came crashing down to earth, lost by 20 points, scored only on a uh, special teams touchdown in getting blown out by the 49ers. So through two weeks, 
You got you want parity? You got parity. You got uh-huh. four teams that all have warts, that all have questions, but they all have the same identical one and one record right now. Yeah, and on some way, and we we talk about the NFL just being out of its mind crazy last weekend. In some way, the Rams have felt as cra- like participated in as crazy of a game as the Cardinals did. Only the Rams didn't come back the way the Cardinals did. The Rams eventually held off a wild comeback uh, that basically was precipitated by an inter- Interception, a block punt, and a lost fumble, um, and an onside kick, if I remember correctly. Didn't Atlanta successfully convert an onside kick in that game? I believe Which so. is very hard to do in this yeah. day and age. Yeah. Um, uh, Next Gen Stats said, had the Rams choked away that victory, that for whatever reason, that would have been the most improbable comeback of the Next Gen Stats era. The Rams had a 99.7 chance of winning at one point in time, and they needed Jalen Ramsey to come up with a big interception to save that game. And it wasn't Crazy. just an interception. That was a pass to the end zone. Right. And Jalen Ramsey made that pick yes. on a really good individual yes. play. That's how close it was to crumbling for the Rams. It, indeed. 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 So um, this is going to be interesting because the hangover, the Super Bowl hangover is certainly is certainly affecting the Cincinnati Bengals. And and you wonder exactly what, where this Rams team is going. Great uh, confluence of individual talent. But again, every season is different. Every vibe is different. There are four, I believe, four playoff teams in the AFC right now from last year that have started 0-2, which is nuts. Oof. Uh, actually, no. The Colts did not make the playoffs last year, but uh, Cincinnati—they're also not zero and two. Defending. Oh, that's right. They're zero one and one. All right, winless. Uh, they should have lost that game mm-hmm. against Houston. But uh, Cincinnati, uh, Tennessee, Indianapolis, and the Raiders are all <laughs> winless in the in the AFC. Uh, sticking with the NFC West, though, I still think the the, the media story in the division is is what's going on in San Francisco. Yep. And we touched on it briefly yesterday, and I don't want to sound insensitive. This injury stinks for Trey Lance, but man, did the 49ers just luck themselves into a better situation. I agree. They do not have to be bothered with this this balancing act of how much do we rely on Trey Lance and how much can we afford to let him grow in losses. Mm -hmm. They have a Super Bowl roster. They are number one in defensive statistics. Now, they've played two really bad offenses the first two weeks, so it's skewed a little bit. That defense is nasty. It is nasty. And they can win it all. They can win it all with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, and they don't have to tiptoe around it anymore. Yeah, listen, I I think out of the first two weeks, and and there might be other candidates, but but the level of defense I'm seeing the Buccaneers play is next level, and the 49ers did not allow a, a single point on defense yes. against the Seahawks. They're really, really good. So uh, I agree with you. I think that this is as inappropriate as it does sound. This is the best thing that could happen to the 49ers, and I think internally they know that. And it's it's just it sounds so awful talking about it. And I know you and I keep running into this emotional wall with this story because they had committed to Trey Lance, and once they did, they had to see it through. Even though they knew that Jimmy G probably, you know, that this is this allowed them to make a move that otherwise would have been very difficult to make. There's some speculation now that the Trey Lance thing might be over. You said they committed to Trey Lance. They did, but let's put it in relationship terms. Yeah, it's like somebody saying, you know what? Yes, I'll marry you, but I'm going to keep my ex's number on speed dial. That's exactly what case. they did. Yeah. And Dan Orlovsky brought up a, uh, an interesting point on Trey Lance when you consider the trajectory of his career and. Now now, you know, second week of, of his second NFL season, it's over at this point. I'm hopeful that Trey Lance's career is incredibly long. 
my my fear is that this is three years now of Trey Lance going really long times without playing football. That's a big deal. He didn't play his last year of college. He didn't play much last year, and he's not going to play much this year. I hope he's going to be just fine. But his development, which is so paramount, is three years without playing football at that position. That's brutal, man. It makes you think, and it's true. I mean, COVID wiped out North Dakota State season. They had to stage a one-game showcase for Trey Lance, in which he did not play that well in 2020. Last year, he got limited action behind Jimmy Garoppolo. This year, he's out for the season. And let's face it, he wasn't the most seasoned, experienced quarterback before COVID hit either. He had one year as a starter at North Dakota State. Yeah. And people even questioned, all right, how good are the uh, are, is the competition that he's playing? This might be it for Trey Lance. I'm, I'm, I agree with Dan Orlowski. I'm hoping it's not. I'd wow. really like to see him at his full potential. But yeah. Ugh. Listen, and again, I just, I really, I'm kind of uneasy with, with how Kyle Shanahan just churned and grinded that kid up, asking him to run the way that he did and... Uh, we saw it in his first very start. He got injured against the Cardinals, and and it's running between tackles is no place for quarterbacks. And it's Kyle Shanahan is a big believer in 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 utilizing those kind of strengths in his running game. He just th- think of all the people that that system and that team has injured. Ball carriers, I'm talking about. Yeah, they have another running back that's, that's out too. <laughs> last year, they, out. They got another one on, on the shelf. I remember yeah. last year they went through like four starting running backs. Yeah, but the the saving grace for that offense is they can plug people in, yeah. And, yeah. and it's such yeah. a, a diverse offense uh, from yeah. a running standpoint. Yes, that they have is. success with. And also guys. on your analogy about the 49ers and the way they handle their quarterbacks, it would be like if you were getting married, but you said, "Oh, our ex is still going to live with us." Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's not even on speed dial. It's like she's gonna rent the room, you know, <laughs> next door to the main master bedroom there. And she's young and cute still. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, so. This is something, and 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 so I. Who knows where this division is going? I. I that's a, it's another reason why this Cardinal Rams game is so fascinating because, you know, the Forty ers clearly they they have something that's very identifiable. They've got a great defense, and I think also, don't you think this week kind of maybe the one thing that did prove was that the Seahawks are what they thought they were going to be. Thought they were going to be. Yeah, that yes. first week was a little bit of a maybe a blip, well, and they are going to be that, pretty bad. I mean. Through two weeks, let's go back to the Seahawks beating Denver on on Monday night in week one. Denver's in total disarray right now. I don't think I've ever in all my years of watching pro football seen a head coach under this much fire after two weeks. Nathaniel Hackett, a lot of people don't think he knows what he's doing. Which is, uh, this is stunning, and there there are so many ramifications for that in Denver because, you know, Russell Wilson came to Denver, and it's been all about the Broncos ever since. They have a, they have a hockey team that won the NHL Stanley Cup, and it's been all about Russell Wilson. They've got a basketball t- team with a two-time MVP in Nikola Jokic, and all people have been caring about for the last five months has been Russell Wilson. And with all that buildup, to have those two performances stacked up it's got people hot yeah i listen I, I all i heard about was how great nathaniel hackett was and secondarily how great he was going to be for russell wilson and wilson's Ain't numbers been that have been so far awful oh, they've had some injuries yeah. at wide receiver but still broncos country let's ride <laughs> right <laughs> ride what 
<laughs> Coming up next, uh, the halfway point of the yeah. show in the second half kicks off in style with the Bickley Blast. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.